Well, good morning, Rick. Welcome back. We missed you last week. You know what? I thought it was a great episode, you and Caleb, and uh, we've got to get him back on in another three years. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll make him wait for it. Yeah. <laughs> no, he's Caleb is great, and um, I thought you guys had a really great conversation. I really appreciated his message, and I've heard a lot of great things from people talking about it, as you know, they, they should be. There's just good, good stuff there, uh, and I'm glad to be back in the chair uh, this week and chatting with you about some of the things we talked about uh, in our service this past weekend. Last weekend was the final message in the He Gets Us series. It mm-hmm. feels like this one's flown by really quickly. Yes. Uh, but love this message. I think of all of the different topics that we've explored about how Jesus is so relatable in the way that he has expressed different emotions, different experiences in the same way we experience those things too. I think this last one was probably my favorite, and I mm. didn't anticipate that. Tell me why. Well, I I've just assumed that I was going to be more drawn... Well obviously, to, to the one that I got to preach on sure. compassion was, yeah. was the, the one that I picked right away. Yeah. But uh, but some of the other topics, you know, we explored like Jesus mm-hmm. and the way that he encountered feelings of anxiety. Mm-hmm. We we looked at even like Otis's message on outrage was sure. kind of a cathartic look at being able to, mm-hmm. you know, how did Jesus express that kind of thing. But I'm not a personality that's typically drawn to rebels. And mm-hmm. so the idea of Jesus as a rebellion kind of figure wasn't something that I I thought that I would relate to, but I loved it. Sure. I, you know, uh, I love the way that Dorothy Sayers uh, referred to Jesus. And I, and I used it throughout the, throughout the message that she called him a shattering personality. Mm. And maybe the way that we might say it today is he's disruptive and he's mm-hmm. constantly dis- dismantling some of the assumptions we bring, expectations we bring, uh, social and cultural norms that we bring mm-hmm. um, so that because he really wants us to be aligned with, with love and truth and goodness and beauty and holiness. And that's found Mm-hmm. That's found in him. And the way that we come to him is however we want to describe it, it's not that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we need we need that broken down so that we can um so we can be united and connected with him. And so I mean, this is just one of those messages where I don't know how many other people felt messed with, but I can say I felt messed with. And as Heather and I talked about this message before I gave it, we both felt messed with. We we're like, wow, if we are like Jesus. Uh, if we're going to be like Jesus and follow him in this way, this is just, it's challenging. It's tough, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I want to, there are some ugly things that I want to hold on to. <laughs> and Jesus is beckoning me and all of us to let go of those ugly things. Mm-hmm. And he gives beauty for ashes. So let just let go of the ashes and receive the truth, goodness, and beauty that he gives. It was a powerful thing to to have Jesus through the scripture, mm-hmm. through this message, mm-hmm. kind of push us out of some of those comfort zones oh, and yeah. maybe force us to examine a little bit of what are some of these preconceived ideas we have about what our meek and mild Jesus, <laughs> our sure. comfortable Jesus looks yeah. like and 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 where are we maybe shortcutting him there and uh, and not doing a, a, a a good job of looking at the reality of who Jesus was and sure. even applying that forward. Like, what mm-hmm. would he look like if he were in our culture today? Mm. 
And, uh, you know, how would he be kind of pushing some of our buttons and, and forcing us to maybe look at the world in a slightly different way? But how, his motivation was always good. It was yeah. motivation is always love. It's always bringing people into mm-hmm. relationship with God. A- absolutely. However you would define this, wherever your mind goes, Jesus would constantly be spending time with and including and welcoming into his inner circle people who I want to keep at the at the fringe. Mm-hmm. And that's not comfortable. No. But it is kind of inspiring. Yes. And it does unlock some doors here for yes. us. Yes. So I loved in the beginning of the message, you had a phrase that I just thought was absolutely uh, striking mm-hmm. with this idea of if our pictures of Jesus here, that the, the He Gets Us campaign has been mm-hmm. bringing out, maybe feels a little bit more like sandpaper than satin. Yeah. <laughs> I love okay. that, that word picture. All right. Um, that it's, it's maybe a helpful thing for us to take a step back and consider how have we been picturing Jesus? Mm-hmm. And is this an opportunity to, as you said, let yeah. it be kind of like a check engine light mm-hmm. on our on our view of, of what our Lord is like. Even if we don't do it intentionally, and I'm just going to use we really loosely, and maybe when I use we, really what I'm saying is me, um, is that I can't, that there's something, there's a gravitational pull inside of me that I need to repent of and need to be redeemed uh, from, and that needs to be kind of sanctified and brought into alignment with holinesses. I'm just drawn to comfort and people who are like me and people who make me comfortable. Mm-hmm. And some of the people who make me comfortable are nothing like me, but then there are people who make me uncomfortable and Jesus, his heart beats for them. Mm-hmm. And if I'm going to be with them, my heart my heart needs to beat for them as well. Mm-hmm. And so it's good to sometimes just hold up a mirror, shine a spotlight and just be like, all right, what's really going on inside of me here? Mm-hmm. If I bristle, if I wince, if I cringe, what is it? What's going, what's going on? And God is just lavish and generous and unrelenting in his kindness and his patience and his gentleness and his love for all people mm-hmm. and all kinds of people. So do you think that Jesus was intentionally reaching out to people who were on the fringes? Or is it that we just see that Jesus is reaching out to all people and it doesn't matter where they were? It's yes to both. It's, it's yes to both, but as you, and, and listen, you know this, I'm not telling you anything you don't know. Let's just go to the Old Testament. How many times is, is, is God saying, remember the poor, remember the foreigner, remember the orphan, remember the widow, all the people who are vulnerable and at the fringe, mm-hmm. remember them, I infor- I'm for them. When you stand against them, you stand against me. Like mm-hmm. that is, that is... That is who God is. In, in, in James um, one twenty seven, pure and undefiled religion in the sight mm-hmm. of God, your fathers, to care for widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Now, James just says widows and orphans. I think that's kind of a mirrorism, perhaps, mm-hmm. or really just kind of a trigger to revert back to the, the old... vulnerable. That's mm-hmm. right, the Old Testament. And we should think about all the people who are in who are in vulnerable positions, not just those two, mm-hmm. not just those two two categories of people. And so I think, yeah, Jesus was intentionally moving towards the people who other people wanted to move away from. Sure. So in, in the base camp passage for this message, mm-hmm. looking at Matthew, who Mark refers by his other name, Levi, yeah. um, we don't see in Matthew slash Levi a picture of maybe someone who was vulnerable. He was almost the opposite of vulnerable in many ways. He was uh, on the side of power. But uh, but he was definitely mm-hmm. a on the outskirts yeah. from the rest of the Jewish culture. Mm-hmm. So you've got Jesus moving moving towards the, the people who are vulnerable, and then you've got Jesus moving towards the people who... Our um, 
kind of reduced to the most to their most grievous sin. Mm-hmm. And that's who Matthew slash Levi would be. Mm-hmm. But then, but you also have Jesus, I think, intentionally moving towards um the Bible loving, and for them at that time, it Bible loving would have been Old Testament. Mm-hmm. Um and the the Bible loving, religious oriented um, misplaced zeal for God crowd, the Pharisees. And like, I don't think Jesus had hard things to say to the, to the Pharisees and there was conflict between him and the Pharisees, but I don't think he was against the Pharisees. I think he loved them. I think his heart beat for them just like it beat for anyone else. I mean, he was happy to welcome a Nicodemus at a nighttime rendezvous to have a secret conversation. Mm-hmm. So, cause Nicodemus didn't want anybody else to know Jesus was happy to do that. Mm-hmm. And many, many, many priests and Pharisees became followers of Jesus after the resurrection and joined the church. Mm-hmm. That's why you read so many times in, in Pauline letters about why they're dealing with Old Testament laws and restrictions. And no, you don't have, don't put those on other people. Those, those don't define salvation. It's because all of the Pharisees joined the church because they were convinced by Jesus's resurrection. Jesus's mm-hmm. heartbeat for them too. So it's not like he's elevating one person over the other. No, the only, if there's anything that privileges you with God, it's simply the fact that you trust Jesus. Mm-hmm. So we see this picture of Jesus bringing really, really diverse sets of people mm-hmm. together in uh, in one group. The disciples yes. represented all kinds of different backgrounds, and uh, and you probably, got a tax collector, you got a zealot, you got <laughs> you got all kinds of folks. Yeah. yeah, people who would have been just diametrically opposed to each other. Yeah, and uh, and yet there's this picture of unity in following Jesus. Could you imagine? Could you imagine if we were going to? We're going to plant a church, and we're like, well, okay, we we got we got we, we got our location. We've got we've got an area that's under under resourced as far as churches go, and, and we got some people. Okay, we're building services. We need to put together an elder board. All right, um, we're going to take a guy who's from like the most extreme was in the crowd at January six, wearing his Make America Great <laughs> again hat, and so we're going to make him an elder, and then we're going to take. We're going to take someone who was a staffer from an extreme Democratic senator, right? <laughs> who's like just as blue as blue could be and a guy who's as red as red could be. And they're both going to be elders serving on the yeah. church. Like that's the kind of stuff Jesus did. And yeah. I'm being a little bit tongue in cheek and we're having a little bit of fun. There's far more to it than that. And we can we can get into that. But Jesus brings people who would never be together. Yeah. And they discover unity not because they cave on their positions or not because of um, they suddenly discover, hey, you were right and I was... No, no, no. They are made new in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And they're made one in Jesus because of what Jesus did. And they both let go of the thing that used to define them. And they're now defined by their allegiance to Jesus. And that's what church is. Mm. That's what happens here. That's incredible. Yeah. I think you've had the experience of, mm-hmm. of worshiping with believers around the world yeah. from cultures that are dramatically different than ours. Oh, yeah. But there is just this immediate sense of affinity when you know mm-hmm. you're with someone who also follows Jesus. Yes. That that is a bond that yes. transcends all other... If you've never had that, if you're listening to this, you've never been on a mission trip, you've never had that opportunity, go to our go to our website, autumnridge.church, and, and click on Ministries and Mission Trips and... Um, 
yeah, um, sign up for one of the mission trips that are that are coming up. Experience that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to push you a little bit on this concept of who Jesus made a leader, because mm. I thought you did a really uh, powerful job of describing why it was that it was so provocative for mm-hmm. Jesus to choose Matthew to be mm-hmm. in his inner circle. And mm-hmm. I think it's easy for us to lose sight of that, because many of us, if you just have grown up just not really questioning that Matthew's one of the disciples and mm-hmm. he's the writer of our first gospel and, mm-hmm. and and that kind of thing. And maybe you've understood that he's a tax collector and tax collectors were hated, but mm-hmm. um, but it's not like the tax collectors were just the first century version of IRS agents. You know, they weren't they weren't acting in a just or a legal sense of the term. They really were closer to like, as you described, like a mob boss. They were extortioners. Mm-hmm. They were they were cheating mm-hmm. their own people on behalf of the Roman government, um, and just despised characters for good reason. It wasn't mm-hmm. just that people didn't like to pay their taxes. They mm-hmm. were they were really abusing people. Totally understandable mm-hmm. why he was despised. Mm-hmm. And so Jesus turns to him and says, "Follow me." Yeah. And how powerful mm-hmm. that it wasn't like, okay, Matthew, go clean up your act. Yeah. Go pay back everyone that you've cheated, mm-hmm. you know, make everything right. And then once you're uh, on the right team, now come follow me. That's right. But just pull them literally out of his tax collector's booth. That's right. And I, you know, I'm not in a position where I'm ready to uh, speak about all the backstory and all the possible interactions that Matthew or or Levi and Jesus would have would have had had together. I, I doubt that it was purely spon- spontaneous, but um, but there was a decisive it was a decisive moment. And for those who got to hear the message, I talked about someone who who really exploited my wife and me financially. It was very 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 costly to us. And I said it'd be like Jesus making that guy a pastor. And but. What I what I want to be clear about is it's not like Levi or Matthew. It's not like he was a leader from day one. He was a follower on day one, mm-hmm. and he was invested in and discipled and mentored by Jesus for three years. And he would have been given opportunities to, like all the other disciples, to to engage in a little bit of of leadership. Maybe like going out in teams of two to different um, towns and villages, getting people ready for for Jesus's arrival. Um, but he didn't become a, an apostle till after the resurrection. None mm-hmm. of these guys actually became apostles till after the resurrection. Um, that's when that's when that kind of official leadership role began as po- post-resurrection. So he wasn't a leader on day one. It's a follower on day one who Jesus developed mm-hmm. into, a, into a leader. I think that's a helpful distinction because um, I wouldn't want someone to to in a good-hearted way want to try to apply the the point of that passage and and say anyone can be eligible for leadership and uh, and make a reckless decision about who they're placing in leadership mm-hmm. but i think the the concept here is that there's no one who is not capable of being transformed by the truth of Jesus and who he is. And as we follow Jesus, um, not that we in ourselves are becoming better people and more qualified in our own capability, but that we are in our um, development through Jesus and in becoming more and more like Jesus, we can become more and more able to serve the kingdom in a leadership role. I really do believe this. This is something that as a church we're trying to rally around. Leadership is a destination of discipleship. Mm-hmm. 
and every single follower of Jesus, he is going to lead you to lead. Mm-hmm. And it may not be a position of leadership. It may not be being a pastor or an elder. It may not be a, a small group leader, but it's going to be something where you are intentionally using what you have and the influence that are in your hands to help other people um, follow follow Jesus. And the thing about us that, that puts us on that track isn't our acceptability. It's Jesus's acceptability, and he makes us acceptable. And so the kind of thing we're talking about here with, with Matthew, this there's nobody who this doesn't apply to. If you follow Jesus, if you've trusted in Jesus, he makes you acceptable. He makes you righteous and uh, because, of, because of what he's done, and that status is passed on to you because you are in him. And now he's the, the whole, a big part of following him and growing and maturing and sanctification is kind of just stepping into that role and being mm. being used by him and there you know there might be some people out there saying but aren't there some things that could be in your past that would mean that you could never be a leader in the church and I'll just say theoretically yes but that list is probably shorter than you think it is mm-hmm. like if you were um I'm meandering a bit but like, let's say if, if I was a polygamist, I don't think I could be a pastor, mm. but it doesn't mean that I couldn't also use the gifts, resources, and influence I have to lead others to trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, but balance that mm-hmm. with the proof text that you offered of Paul mm-hmm. himself describing, and you played a little trick on uh, on how closely people were paying attention with mm-hmm. this verse where you first put it up there about mm-hmm. how, you know, of all the sinners, he was the worst. That's and then right. <laughs> we had to, to, to realize that you twisted that, that it actually, the verse describes Paul as saying, I am the worst. Yeah, I am the worst and of sinners. And if there yeah. ever was a case mm-hmm. of of any person mm-hmm. in the Bible who could point to, before I knew Jesus, I literally was a murderer of Christians, That's a right. persecutor of Christians, right. using everything in my power to try to stamp out the, mm-hmm. the early church, mm-hmm. it was Paul. And then after coming to Christ, he is now the... Mm-hmm the champion That's right. for the gospel. And uh, and so if there's any person who could have pointed to, that's mm-hmm. who I was, mm-hmm. and this is who I am now, That's right. it would be Paul, and yet Paul is still claiming to be the worst, the chief of all that's sinners. Right. That's right. And so this would be a this would be a fun conversation. I've actually had this... Con- what, when this conversation is not abstract for me, because when I was a pastor in Utah, we had active polygamists in, mm. in our church. And when I go to uh, West Africa... There are active polygamists who get who get saved mm-hmm. and who want who want to follow Jesus and uh, Emmanuel Mustafa, who a lot of people around here just know as Moose. He, go, he goes uh, he goes by Moose. That's a that's a that's a line that he's made. If you are a polygamist, you can't be a pastor. Mm-hmm. And it's not saying and man, this is super complex. You know, I don't think I really don't think that if like a man with multiple wives when he becomes a follower of Jesus I don't think he should divorce any of his wives but I don't think he should marry anymore yeah. <laughs> right and if any of them choose and like this is not abstract for me I was pastor of people who were polygamous in Utah so hey don't marry anymore but if any of your wives choose to walk away bless them generously mm-hmm. as they walk away but I don't think that it would honor Jesus for you to break promises that you've made to this woman and her and the children you've made with her, mm-hmm. right? But there's something about polygamy that mars the image of um, Christ and the church that I think makes a man 
ineligible to be a pastor. And I think it's one of the reasons that we read in First Timothy three that elders should be um, should be faithful in marriage to mm-hmm. a singular person. Mm-hmm. So the kind of thing you're describing right mm-hmm. now is is getting at the idea of how important it is that we apply wisdom to yes. the scriptures and to how we interpret and apply the scriptures. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing right now because I'm like I just went on this tangent that has nothing to do with the message, and you and were you can see how I'm trying are, to bring it back onto the you're, rails. You're here. saying you're saying Rick, come on. Just get, let's talk about the thing we're supposed to talk about. But you're doing it so with such so kindly and skillfully. And so so let's try to apply a little wisdom here. Thank you for that. Let's uh, let's return back to podcast content. Yeah. Um, yeah. So a good section of this message mm-hmm. was in looking at what can be anti-gospel thinking and the yeah. way that we are trying to apply. Uh, the scriptures and how we're engaging with other people, mm-hmm. and uh, and the necessity of of wisdom in that. Um, you pointed out specifically to um, anti gospel thinking um, that leads us to think that maybe if we're going to socialize with someone who believes or lives in a way that we believe is wrong, that we're approving of their sin yeah. or, or drawing it even further into mm-hmm. you know is it okay to have dinner with someone who's mm-hmm. living a lifestyle that I think is wrong or, or sure. All the way to the point of what I invite that person into my home, yeah. Um, and you know, and I wanted to bring up a certain verse because I think for people that have drawn that line of saying I'm not comfortable bringing someone into my home mm-hmm. that is is maybe actively pursuing a sinful lifestyle that I'm not comfortable with, that uh, they point to certain places in the Bible. Second mm-hmm. uh, John is a, a a classic one for that. Um, that talks about someone being against Christ, that do mm-hmm. not even welcome that person into your home. Yeah. Um, and I think it, this gives us an opportunity to talk a little bit about some good hermeneutical approaches to not letting one verse be misinterpreted and taken out of, mm-hmm. of context yeah. and uh, and to create a misapplication of this. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Re- just real quick, let me be conceptual, zoom out, and then we're going to zoom, zoom in and be really specific. Number one... Um, totally honor and respect people who disagree with me um, or I disagree with them or, or whatever, but we all want to honor God's word. Mm-hmm. We want to honor it and we want to be faithful to it. We're not honoring it and being faithful to it if we misunderstand it and then we act on that misunderstanding. We're intending to honor it, but the impact is that we're actually dishonoring it. And I think we could all point to things in our relationships where we tried to honor someone, we totally, we we did the wrong thing, we did something that they didn't appreciate, and the impact was that they felt dishonored, even though the intent was to honor. So it's possible to intend to honor, but the impact can be that you actually dishonor. Um, what that's talking about there, number one, is false teachers. You're not going to welcome in false teachers who are teaching an ant, something that is anti-gospel into your home. And it's naturally, we think about that, like I would think about like my house where my family resides. You might think about your house where your family resides, but where do churches meet? Mm-hmm. They met in homes in those days. They, 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 they met in homes. And if you think about the way that churches are often described, you know, that... Uh, Priscilla and Aquila and the church that met in, in their, their home, and mm-hmm. Lydia and the church that met in her home, and Chloe and the church that... I mean, it's you're not going to welcome someone into your congregation who is going to teach something that is antithetical to the gospel. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so that's, not, that's it's the not, context of Second John. It's, it's mm-hmm. not saying 
you're not going to let someone into your house who believes something differently than you, mm-hmm. who has a lifestyle that's differently, that, that's just different than, than you. Or maybe I draw a little bit yeah. of a distinction between mm-hmm. Second John's getting at don't give someone the pulpit who is going to be speaking against oh, the absolutely. gospel, yeah. whereas it's what it's not saying is don't show hospitality to and, people who and, don't agree with and you. And here's the deal. You may not even welcome them in at all. Um, there, uh, there have not been many times, but there have been times where it's, if this is the way you're going to be, you cannot come into where our church meets. Mm-hmm. And as a pastor, one of my responsibilities, one of our responsibilities is, uh, is, is protection, mm-hmm. right? And so if I know that there are people who are coming in with the sole purpose of trying to exploit or take advantage, lie to, deceive, mm-hmm. I'm, you can't come in. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I'm not going to allow it. Mm-hmm. And that's ex- ex- exceedingly rare, but that is, that's also part of what John is warning about there. Mm-hmm. But what he's not trying to express is that you should never show hospitality to someone that's right. who disagrees with you or who's not yet a believer. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That, uh, absolutely. No, if you can have someone into your home and host them for dinner who believes something totally differently than you, than, than you do. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a great opportunity to build relationship, build trust, and to build the foundation that's necessary to be able to have honest, riveting helpful conversations about those disagreements, and you could talk about why you trust in Jesus, mm-hmm. hopefully in a way that would woo them to also want to trust in Jesus. So can I get you just encourage mm-hmm. us to go a little bit from the kind of the broader theoretical mm-hmm. layer of this to a little bit more in the direct practical sense? Because I would imagine for many people, as they heard you walking through this... The- Everybody went to like one practical provocative illustration. And let's just imagine that that particular thing that everyone is wondering is like, what do I do in the case of being invited to a gay wedding yeah. or something along those lines? So let me, listen, um, we got to be wise. Scripture is incredibly helpful here. I think Paul's helpful. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the people of this world who are immoral, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. In that case, you would have to leave this world. Mm. But now I am writing to you that you must not associate with anyone who claims to be a brother or sister, but is sexually immoral or greedy and idolater or slanderer, a drunkard or swindler. Do not even eat with such people. Mm. So if someone is a follower of Jesus, and they are now engaging, or they claim to be a follower of Jesus, and they're now engaging in this just clear violation of what it means to 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 follow Jesus, and they're just kind of open rebellion and sin. Listen, I love you, and I am praying for you, and I want you to repent, and this is breaking my heart, but you and I cannot hang out as though everything is okay because everything mm-hmm. is not okay, mm-hmm. right? In the same way, in the same way that... If there was a if there was a guy and he was he was my he was my good friend, so let's just let's use Caleb for example. Okay. Like I love hanging out with Caleb. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish he played golf. He doesn't play golf, but <laughs> I, I love I love hanging out with Caleb. I love hanging out with Otis. Otis, I think, is close to wanting to play golf. So <laughs> you've got some hope there, huh? Anna. If you're listening, <laughs> green light those golf clubs. <laughs> but if I'm hanging out with with Caleb and Otis, and they are 
saying insulting things about my wife, but they are, but they like me. Mm-hmm. We are not hanging out, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. I'm not. I can't. I cannot. I cannot you stomach. Cannot if you're going to dishonor mm-hmm. my wife, we can't be friends. Mm-hmm. And so, if you and I are friends, and you are openly, defiantly, dis, defiantly dishonoring Christ and claiming to be a follower of Christ, this is a grievous thing, mm-hmm. right? And we're not just going to pretend like things are normal. We're not going to socialize. We're not going to hang out. I love you. Pray for you. If you have a need, I will come and serve you, mm-hmm. right? And I will I will give you the shirt off my back. I will sacrifice for you. But we're not going to socialize as though everything is okay. Mm-hmm. And this is the kind of this is the kind of thing that that I think followers of Jesus need need to wrestle through, need, need to wrestle with. This is not, it is not, hey, here's somebody who doesn't follow Jesus. They don't know Jesus. They don't have any profession of faith in Jesus, and they're living like they don't believe, so I'm going to stay distant from them. No. Mm. No. The Apostle Paul is saying, no way. You can't even do that. You, you would have to leave this planet and go to yeah. another planet. Yeah. You cannot do that. And then, by the way, how do you expect to ever have friendships and relationships and the ability to share with them about why you follow Jesus so that they might also want to follow Jesus. Yeah. It's just, it's nonsensical. So it's it's giving us not a, this is what you do in all situations, mm-hmm. but it's saying we need to be a little bit yeah. wise in applying this and the way that we might apply something yeah. with non-believers could be very different than the way we apply it with believers. So uh, astute listeners are saying, Rick, you've danced around it long enough, so what's the answer? (laughs) And I just want to say, I don't think there is a one-size-fits-all answer uh, to whether or not you should go to a wedding, um, like a a same-sex wedding. And and listen, let's just step into it. This is going to be out there on the internet for everybody to hear for all time, and so whatever happens, happens. let me ask a few questions, and these are not gotcha questions. And if anybody hears these as gotcha questions as though somehow it shuts down the conversation, I have not done my job and I have failed. Mm-hmm. These are kind of let's just keep also wrestling with this kind mm-hmm. of conversations to really dig down and get to get to what Let's frames our thinking. Church is messy. Church is messy, right? <laughs> and so I, I'm coming from the perspective is that we were made in God's image and we trust and and, and we that was lost. Be, that's not lost, but that was that was fractured or tainted because of sin. That Jesus came and gave His life, paying the penalty of sin, restoring us to what we are intended uh, to be, and that He is the only hope. Uh, for our salvation and for the life that God originally intended for us to have, and that goodness and thriving and flourishing is only found in Him. So that's kind of just the framework that I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. And part of that is one man and one woman uh, for life, and all sexual activity should be expressed solely in that. Anything outside of that is outside of God's design and would be a sin. So that's just, if you don't believe those things, what I'm going to say next doesn't make any sense. If you do believe those things, lean in with me. So that means God-honoring marriages are marriages between a man who is a follower of Jesus, a woman who is a follower of Jesus, and they're seeking to honor Jesus together. Um, If you are saying, if you're kind of coming from this, I don't think I could ever go to a gay wedding. I get it. I get it. Um, But would you also not go to a wedding where one person is a believer marrying a person who's a Mm non-believer? Maybe you wouldn't. Um, Would you... Also, not go to a wedding where two people were previously divorced for non-biblically sanctioned reasons, and they're now remarrying somebody else. Would you not go to that wedding also? 
would you not go to a wedding where people you suspect or you know that they have kind of an open view of marriage? Mm-hmm. And like if you say if you say if you say that you would go to any of those marriages, but not to not to a gay marriage, to to a same sex marriage or wedding ceremony, what you're saying is there are some marriages that I believe do not honor God that I would attend, mm-hmm. and then there are some marriages that do not honor God that I would those weddings I would not attend. And so all I'm asking you to do is is just wrestle with why you draw the line, where you draw the line. Mm-hmm. And I'm also going to ask you to wrestle with what is communicated by your presence, mm-hmm. what is communicated by your absence, and what is it that you want to communicate? Um, and I'm not trying to answer these questions for you. I'm just inviting you to really wrestle with these, with these questions. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is understood that my presence is communicating, I think all of this is good and I fully endorse it, I'm probably not going to go. If it's understood, well, Rick clearly isn't for this. This is an affirmation of his friendship of me. I probably will go. Mm-hmm. Um, something that might make it a bit of a trickier dribble is that I'm not just an individual. I'm, a, I'm the lead pastor of Autumn Ridge Church, and people might read into that. <laughs> um, and so I got I've got to take I got to take that into into account as well. But this is what I this is what I've discovered through my experiences, is that it's most of the time people are not interpreting my presence somewhere as an endorsement of whatever is being done. They're taking it as an affirmation of friendship. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, somebody came and shared this story with me this weekend. I went, I, I went to a same-sex marriage, even though I don't believe that honors God, and later I was asked by the couple, I know this isn't something that you affirm and believe in, so why did you come? Why are you my friend? Mm. And it opened up the opportunity to, to talk about love and grace and new life that's available in Jesus. I am so committed to the, oper- to the chance of having conversations and keeping the conversation going that I am willing to live with well-meaning Christians being confused. Mm. Mm-hmm. For the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus to That's right. see something that could bring them to Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I totally get where people are coming from when they say things like, "But Rick, you have a you have a reputation that that we, that we need to we need to protect and um and you know, if people associate you with that or if people associate me with that, you know, do I lose credibility? I, I get all of those things. But that's a risk that it seems like Jesus was willing to take. Jesus they called him a glutton and a drunkard. <laughs> right? And I don't read anything in the Gospels where Jesus was like, "I only had one glass of wine," <laughs> right? He, he's not. He's not like. He's not like. Listen, I only had one helping of chicken. He doesn't. He doesn't defend himself. Yeah. Of course, he was not a glutton. Of course, he was not a drunk. Well, he didn't seem invested in reputation management that, either. That's right. I mean, he didn't. He didn't shy away from associating with different people because he yeah. was afraid of what people might say about him. Yeah. If he was seen with them. Yeah. It, it wasn't. It. Yeah. And I'm just, I'm challenged by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, part of my sin and part of my, part of my sin, part of my ego and part of my insecurity is the thing that frustrates me the most and like makes me the most angry is when I'm misunderstood mm. and I hate being misunderstood, mm-hmm. but, 
one of the reasons that I hate being misunderstood isn't because I care about the other person really knowing what's true about me. It's because <laughs> there's something in me that wants to find my significance in a certain kind of status. Yeah. And when people misunderstand that, I get I get riled up because people are messing with my idol. Uh-huh. Right? Don't don't mess with my idol, right? <laughs> Jesus didn't have that idol. Yeah. <laughs> and Jesus was comfortable being misunderstood. Yeah, he was secure in the right thing. To the point of having three spikes put through him mm. on a cross. Mm. And while someone was literally hammering their misunderstanding of Jesus into his flesh, he prayed, Father, would you forgive him? He doesn't even know what he's doing. Wow. They don't know what they're doing. Wow. I am nothing like that. I want to be more like that. And um, I don't think any of us go wrong by saying, Jesus, I want to be more like that. There is room to disagree. There is room for good-hearted, smart, Jesus-loving people to disagree. And maybe you think it's not the wisest thing or the most loving thing to do, to to go to whatever that event you're thinking about, whether it's a same-sex marriage or something different. I get that. But however it is that you arrive at that decision, It's an honest engagement of God's word and a commitment to loving like Jesus. Let that be what fuels you Mm. and and frames your decision and not anything else. Mm -hmm. And it's possible we're going to see it differently when we are both committed to those two things. But let it just be those two things Mm. that frame how we make that decision. It's powerful. I want to bring you to one last idea before Mm -hmm. we close out this episode. Uh, Near the end of the message, you are challenging people to follow Jesus if they don't yet know him as mm. their savior. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you challenged people to question if there's something that's holding them back from following Jesus because there's something in their life that they're not wanting to let go of, that it's actually, is it possible that they're really asking jo- Jesus to follow them <laughs> rather than yeah. being willing to, to let go of that, to follow Jesus and all that that looks like? Mm-hmm. Can you, with your your pastoral heart for mm-hmm. people right now, can you speak to the person that's saying, "Okay, I, I'm seeing the beauty of the of Jesus. I'm seeing the the incredible gift that it is that that He wants to have a relationship with us. That He's inviting us um, to find true life in mm-hmm. Him. And yet, there's just something holding me back right now. Um, can you speak to that person that that's there? but they're kind of on the edge of the cliff and just afraid to take that leap of faith. Yeah, 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 yeah. Two, two things come to mind. Um, before I talk about, the, about those, what those two things are, uh, I want to poorly quote a, a pastor who I respect uh, who essentially said this, you know you're ready to cross the line of faith and to put your trust in Jesus when not believing is starting to take more effort than believing. Mm. Um, you're, you, not every question can be answered. Certainty is a myth. We're talking about confidence. And you're at a place where you are confident. You're confident that he loves you. He died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and that his way is better than your way. And there's something that's holding you back. It could be one of two things or a combination of those two things. One is pride. And it's, I don't want to have to change and what is it that other people might say about me? There's, there's, there's things connected to that. Humility is, is a prerequisite for repentance. And it's essentially saying, I'm not the boss. 
Jesus, you're the boss. Mm-hmm. I'm not the leader. You're the leader. I will follow. I trust you, and I'll and I, I will I will follow. I'll follow you. I'm not qualified to be the leader of my life. It's one of the reasons that I wanted to say on Sunday. Would you humbly repent? Mm-hmm. And um, it's not like self abasement. It's not. It's. I'm not talking about trying to describe how horrible you are. It's just I'm. I'm not intended to be the person who leads my life. Mm-hmm. I'm not intended to be the authority. It's Jesus, and and I trust Him. And so I'm gonna I'm gonna lay I'm gonna let go of the steering wheel. I'm gonna let Him have the steering wheel of my life. The second thing is that might be related to that too, is is fear. Mm-hmm. And we're told um, love casts out fear because fear is about punishment. Fear is about Something bad is going to happen to me. Something's going to, to get me. This is going to sting me. This is, this is, this is going to go wrong for me. Mm-hmm. And love covers that. And a, a pastor who I have dearly loved, who recently passed away, has gotten a lot of tension, attention recently for saying this. If Jesus really did rise from the dead, then everything's going to be okay. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, Jesus really did rise from the dead, and he loves you, and you are safe in him. So would you humbly trust him and take that step and discover the truth, goodness, and beauty that awaits for you in him? Would you end this episode and and kind of by extension this series with Mm -hmm. a prayer for us? Sure. God, it is um, such a great thing uh, to be able to so freely and easily talk to you that we are welcomed uh, to you in conversation. And it's not because of some ceremonial thing that we've accomplished. It's not because we've kept enough rules. It's We have this insane access simply because of what Christ has done. And, uh, and I'm grateful for that. And it's our, we want to see him. Uh, we want to see him with eyes wide open. Um, we want to humbly uh, repent of any um, intention that is inside of us to mold Jesus into what we want him to be or what we think we need him to be or to a safe version of something that's easily accommodating in our life. But we just want to see him, the Lion of Judah, who is also the Lamb, who humbly gave his life for us. And took it up again, proving that we can have life that never ends. And God, I pray that you would help us to trust in that. Um, I thank you that we are held by your power and that your spirit is with us. And for anyone who's listening and they have not yet trusted in Jesus, that even right now as they are listening to me pray on this recording, that they would pause and that they would confess that they're a sinner in need of a Savior and that they would trust in Jesus is the only hope of their salvation because of what he did on the cross and his resurrection. You are our life and our hope, and we are so grateful for the truth and the goodness and beauty that we have because of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.